What's up guys, it's Jeremy with Mic Drop, Mildly Intelligent Conversations, also with the Unredacted Truth, where we try to free your minds from the grips of the mainstream media by giving you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the Unredacted Truth. In this episode, Eric and I are going to talk about the Federal Reserve. We let you know how it started, who started it, what it is, and how it works. And I think it's really important that you people know that, because if everybody knew exactly what the Federal Reserve was and how it worked, we'd have some issues. And uh, I think that the nation would go through some very um, overdue changes. So yes, I thought it was really important to share with you guys what it was. And I just want to give you a forewarning. Our kids were here, so they were playing inside. My son and his daughter were playing inside and it ends up getting pretty loud and you can hear the kids in the background. So I just want to apologize for that quality. Um, but yeah, no kids are in school right now. So it's kind of tough to, uh, to find somebody to watch them while we do this. So uh, either way, not a big deal. Uh, just wanted to give you a forewarning. The quality isn't the best, but we make do and we try to make it as, as good as possible. But yeah, I hope you enjoy the video. See you guys. Mildly intelligent conversation. My name is Jeremy Snyder. That's some fucked up shit, Eric. I'm Eric Bondi. Oh my god! God, I know. <laughs> this is some weird shit. That's just crazy. Four months. So it's been four months since we've done one of these? Yeah. It's Holy been shit. four fucking months because of that Covidiots. The Covid 19, if you will. What was it, the South Dakota? What were you saying? South Dakota. South Dakota. Oh. Because of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Check out my uh, prop report mug. Just got it the other day. That's a mighty fine mug. <laughs> Fucking tasty. I think it's cool that they send them full of coffee like yeah, that. It was weird. It didn't even spill. Got whipped cream and all that. And then, uh, see, I used to drink coffee all the time. During the Coffee with J-Rock stuff, you were on there with me. Remember that? You were my dad. I do remember. Do not look that up. I wonder if I fucking went back and watched it, like how fucking horrible of a person <laughs> I was. There's some bad shit there, I bet. I got to get that off the internet. I remember that one episode when you're just like, as long as everyone just trusts the government, everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah, and I fucking swear to God, nobody told me to say it. <laughs> so yeah, it's been a long time since we've had a mic drop episode. This one's going to be on the uh, Federal Reserve. Where did you get most of your world for motion? <laughs> Fuck, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to just talk about the Federal Reserve, and I'll tell you, I, uh, I got most of this, most of the information from the great book by uh, G. Edward Griffin, the the creature from Jekyll Island. Uh, he pretty well rehearsed on the Federal Reserve and. And uh, there's been a lot of people who've actually gone back and, and researched a lot of the shit that's in that book, and it's pretty solid. I mean, he, this guy did his research. He, he did his research, and and he's pretty freaking pretty solid with most of what he's got in his book. And so maybe I should change that. Is that a fucking bee? Get off me! There we go. You're dead. Dead motherfucker. Yeah. Gone too. But not forgotten. His memory will live on forever in this podcast. <laughs> These life matters, but I guess not. Not today. Not today, sir. What's the buzz? It was a bee. That's what it was. Hey, that rhymes. 
So it's been four months. Yeah. yeah well, for me, it's it was basically like six hours of information gathering, and then just you know, the rest of the time was just God, dude. That's because of coronavirus has fucking sucked our lives away, man. It made me lazy. Cause I'm like, yeah, nobody else is doing anything. I'm not gonna either. I'm so sick of talking about it too, so I ain't even gonna bring it up. What? Okay, so I will bring it up. I believe because the Federal Reserve is such a horrible idea and it's destroyed our fucking country to the point where I believe all of this, everything that's happening right now is happening because of that probably. Like most other people in the conspiracy world, they believe that we're going through like this crazy hard reset. And and I think it's because of the fucking Federal Reserve. I think they got us to the point where... Our money is worth nothing. They, they're in such a... They've dug themselves into such a huge hole that the only way we're going to get out is by just freaking this this reset, what they call it. And I think that that's what the coronavirus is. I think it's it's uh, it's going to be the... What do they call it? The patsy for this economic reset that we're going to have, I think. So do you think by doing a reset that in another 110 years they'll have to do it again? I don't know, but we might be on like our eighth episode by then. <laughs> <laughs> That's some good shit. So, uh, for the sake of saving batteries, because this is done a little bit differently this time, since we're outdoors, guys, uh, I'm just going to fucking jump right into it. Um, again, we got a lot of this research, uh, we got a lot of this information by uh, researching The uh, Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. Awesome book. I suggest you guys read it. And, uh, I, I, I mean, it's got a lot of really good information in there, and it's solid. It's solid, man. Uh, up until recently, most people had no idea what the Federal Reserve was, and there are still many misconceptions about it and its origins. What a lot of people don't know is that the Federal Reserve is neither a federal entity, nor does it actually have a reserve, or at least not, not much of one at all. It's not, uh, it's not a government operation, it's more of like a banking cartel. They basically created a a uh, partnership with the government, and it's a banking cartel. That's that's what it is. It's freaking. We'll go into detail and let you know exactly what it is and how it works. But first, we're gonna we're gonna tell you kind of how it it came about and who who created it, and why probably. Yeah, we'll talk about why they created it. Uh, basically, again, it's it's a it's a centralized bank. It's it's just not called that because back back then when they created the Federal Reserve, people in the U.S. were 100% against big bankers, and and they knew had the idea of centralized banks because in Europe they had it and and whatever, and they just they didn't want anything to do with it. The Federal Reserve is actually the the third attempt at creating a centralized bank in the U.S. and uh, we'll go into detail on that too, but but again, it just people weren't going to have it. It would never pass uh, because it'd never have the people's approval. And uh, so what they they did is they called it the Federal Reserve instead, even though it is absolutely a centralized bank. So the first attempt at creating a centralized bank, they called it the First Bank, and it dates back to Alexander Hamilton. Uh, Congress granted the First Bank a 20-year charter uh, to see how it worked, and in 1811, Madison was president, and he thought that it was a bad idea for the country, so he squashed it. Uh, coincidentally, a year later, the War of 1812 happened, and Madison you know, realized that it'd probably be a good idea to have a bank that could fund these wars, so uh, 
So he, he started it up again, and it actually was called the Second Bank. And again, it was granted a 20-year charter, and when the charter came up in 1832, President Jackson shut that shit down. So do you think conspiracy theory-minded, uh, do you think that War of 1812 was... Created to get a centralized bank going? Probably. Yeah. You never know. That's was... my guess, but again, it's a theory. So um, in the early 1900s, the United States was having a, an economic crisis. Uh, people were literally starving to death. Uh, Congress convinced everyone that we needed to reform the nation's monetary system. So in 1908, they formed the National Monetary Commission. Uh, the idea of this commission was to keep the concentration of financial powers and political decision-making away from bankers. There were co- corrupt politicians and corrupt private bankers that were profiting off of the citizens' uh, Leading a lot of citizens, leading to a lot of citizens going broke and a lot of distrust in the government. So there, so there were a lot of propaganda campaigns during those days, basically pointing to the need of a central bank uh, that the U.S. could not survive without one. Uh, but again, most everybody is against the idea, so they had to figure out a different way to make it happen. Again, the people were against having a centralized bank, one hundred percent, and so. Congress, they, they came together and they made this this monetary commission. Is that what it was called? The National Monetary Commission. And they portrayed it as being something that was basically anti-big bank and 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 they knew exactly what what the people didn't like so they tried to they tried to portray it as being the opposite of that uh, realistically it was exactly that i mean it was nothing but a bunch of big bankers coming together in this national monetary commission trying to come up with a way to be able to create the federal reserve which again was going to be a centralized bank so um they that that, that was the idea of it even though they they portrayed it as being the complete opposite so the Federal Reserve was conceived during a super secretive meeting on Jekyll Island. So that's where we get to this point where the the meeting on Jekyll Island happens, and that's where the idea of the Federal Reserve actually came up. Uh, Jekyll Island is an island off the coast of Georgia. It's owned by a few millionaires, including J.P. Morgan and William Rockefeller. Um, so Senator Nelson Aldridge was the Republican whip at the time and uh, also the chairman to the National Monetary Commission that they had created. He and these these other men were instructed to go to the island. They didn't they didn't want them using their first names whatsoever, so or or their last names whatsoever. Some of them only went using their first names and and um, Aldridge and another guy, I forgot his name. Uh, I mean, I know his name. I just can't remember which one it was. But they actually changed their name altogether and went as um, uh, Orville and what what are the Wright brothers' names? Wilbur, Wilbur Wright, Orville Wright. Mm-hmm. I can't remember, but they yeah. went. They they only used their first names. They didn't use the Wright, and the reason is is because they they always perceived themselves as being right one hundred percent of the time. Both of them were, and they felt that they always were right. So they used the first names of um, the the Wright brothers, and I forgot what it was. Orville and the other guy. I forgot his name. Wilbur, probably. But anyways, this is true. This is 100% true. There's actual uh, um, an article in the paper. I can't remember the year that it came out, but it was by one of these people that was at that uh, meeting, and he explained in detail how it was super secretive. They didn't want anybody to know because there's absolutely no way that they would be able to get this to pass had the people known who put it together. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, they... uh, 
they decided to do that. So anyway, so you're probably wondering who these people were that were in the meeting. And so I'm going to go through each one and kind of give you a short rundown of who each one of these people were. And then uh, after that, we'll, we'll get more into the Federal Reserve. But I want you to have an idea of who these people were and what type of people they were and how they were involved uh, in everything and their, their background so you can understand why they put these few people together to come up with this idea. Uh, first person, obviously, we've already talked about it, is Senator Aldridge, one of the most powerful senators of his time. From 1898 to 1911, he chaired the Finance Committee, which established currency policy and set tariff rates. Um, while he did that, he was studying financial matters closely and becoming an influential expert in the economy. After he set up the meeting on Jekyll Island, he tried to put a plan together, which was this this bank. Uh, he called it the Aldrich Plan. And unfortunately, a lot of people knew who this guy was and knew that he was deeply tied to these big bankers. So although people were telling him, do not use your name. Do not put your name on this um, because there's no way it'll get passed. He did it anyways. And of course it got shut down right away. It never, I mean, it didn't stand a chance. Uh, but, but anyways, yeah, so it was called the Aldrich plan and the Aldrich plan called for the creation of one central institution, the National Reserve Association that would have branches across the country and that would have the power to issue currency. It would be controlled by a board of directors primarily composed of bankers. The U.S. Treasury would also hold a set or hold a seat on the board, but would not be able to exercise significant oversight. So, you know, basically the only people who had any say whatsoever in this bank and in this 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 creation were going to be the bankers. The plan was widely condemned in Congress with many contending it would enhance the power of the larger banks and the influence of Wall Street. Aldrich left the political world in 1911 retiring from re, retiring to Providence, but his plan laid the groundwork for what eventually became uh, the Federal Reserve Act in 1913. Aldrich died in New York 2 years later. He had 10 children, including a son, Winthrop, who became president of Chase National Bank. Um, he had another son named Nelson Aldrich Rockefeller, uh, and he became governor of New York and vice president to Gerald Ford in the late 70s. Aldrich's great-grandson, John D. Rockefeller IV, is the senior U.S. senator from uh, West Virginia. I don't know if he is right now. Uh, but but I think he, he used to be. Uh, I'd have to look that up. But I know at one point, um, his great-grandson, John D. Rockefeller IV, was uh, the senior U.S. senator from West Virginia. There's another gentleman that was there. This is kind of rumored that he was there. It's not a big deal, but he was kind of like Aldridge's bitch. And... Uh, he was kind of. He was a senator to. His name is Arthur Shelton. He was a senator to uh, Nelson Aldrich and to the National Monetary Commission. He was not really mentioned a lot in Griffin's book. I don't even think he was at all. He might have been, but when you look it up on Google, the people that were there, and I hate looking on Google, so I had to look in multiple places. But if you look up on Google, it does show that he was one of the guys that was there. So Arthur Shelton was the secretary to to Nelson Aldrich, right? Not the senator. Did I say senator? I meant to say secretary, man. I'm fucking okay. stupid. No, that's right. I just want to make sure that what I have is right. And then, okay, so Frank Vanderlip, they're, uh, they're on the behalf of William Rockefeller and the international investing firm Coom Laub and Company, a leading member of the... I, I can't spell. Is that how it's spelled? I don't know. 
It's a pretty sure. big deal. I think most people know who cum laude is, but anyways, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, so when he was young, he worked for an Aurora, Illinois newspaper, and within a few years had moved to Chicago, where he made a name for himself as a financial reporter at the Chicago Tribune. While working as a reporter, he was taking classes in economics, finance, and history at the University of Chicago. Chicago banker Lyman Gage was appointed treasury secretary in 1897. He asked Vanderlip to accompany him in Washington as his private secretary. Within months, Vanderlip had been promoted to assistant secretary of the treasury. He sold $1.4 billion in Spanish-American war bonds, which drew the attention of Wall Street. Vanderlip left the treasury to become vice president of the National Bank. In 1909, he was appointed the president of the bank that is known today just as Citibank. Henry Davison, he rose quickly through the banking world and by age 33 was named president of Liberty National Bank. In 1903, he was one of the founders of the Bankers Trust Company of New York, which became the second largest trust in the company, or sorry, in the country. Uh, in 1902, he became vice president of the First National Bank. During the panic of 1907, Davison worked closely with J.P. Morgan in his firm and actually became partner in 1908. Senator Aldrich hired Davison as an advisor to the National Monetary Commission. In 1917, President Woodrow Wilson appointed Davison chair of the American Red Cross War Council. He oversaw an unprecedented fundraising campaign that helped send Red Cross teams to multiple fronts during World War I. Uh, after the war, he proposed uniting multiple Red Cross organizations from different countries to form what is today known as the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Davison died at home on Long Island in 1922 after a failed operation to remove a brain tumor. So... Uh, a lot of these guys, I, I, I explained that they died and, and when they died because, oddly, it's weird. A lot of these people died at age 64, 64, 63. I don't think that has any significance whatsoever, but I thought it was kind of weird. Um, and then uh, also, a lot of these people died just shortly after all this shit fucking went down. Plus, their background afterwards, either right before or just afterwards, they were involved in, for, like, they... they they had a lot to do with, like, the war and what was going on in the war. Um, just like before when they made these other banks, it's almost like they used these banks to fund war. And then shortly after the, the creation of the Federal Reserve, we go, you know, we go to war in World War One, And I'm pretty sure that the Federal Reserve uh, paid for a lot of it. Uh, kind of paid for a lot of it. Paul Warburg. Um, this guy is one of the wealthiest people in the world, uh, a representative of the Rothschild banking dynasty in England and France. In 1895, he became partner in the banking firm M.M. Warburg & Company. It was his family's, family's firm. Uh, founded by his great-grandfather, Warburg was a partner in the family firm until 1907. Uh, in 1902, he moved to New York City and joined his father-in-law's company as a partner overseeing international loans to several governments in 1911. My phone just went off again. That seems to be a theme. I can't fucking stand it. There it goes again. And it's CNN. Fake shit. Anyways, that happened again. Long story. Talk to you about it later. However, in 1902, he moved to New York City and joined his father's joined his father-in-law's company as partner, overseeing international loans to several governments. In 1911, he became a naturalized U.S. citizen. 
uh, considered one of the top authorities on central banking, both in Europe and in the United States throughout his career. Warburg was a prolific writer. Shortly after they created the Federal Reserve, he decided to write about it. And this is the guy, Paul Warburg. He's the guy who also was was had a newspaper article that came out where he was explaining exactly what happened when they met on Jekyll Island, the super secretive meeting. Because after, I mean, it wasn't until several years after the Federal Reserve was created that people actually started admitting that they had this meeting. Now it's widely known that they did have it, but... But yeah, this guy, uh, this guy published books about it, and uh, he he was not um, shy about telling him how how uh, how banky it was, if you want to use that word. Very banky, banky. He's like that graffiti artist. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. Nice guy. In March 1929, he warned that the wild stock speculation resulting from stock price increase and improper bank lending practices would have disastrous results if left unchecked. On October 29th of that year, the stock market crashed. He died in his home in 1932. So he warned that some shit was going to happen with the stock market. And then uh, later on in that year was when we had the stock market crash. I think this guy's name is pronounced A. Piet Andrews. That's A period space P-I-A-T-T Andrews. Uh, son of a banker. Son of a banker. That son of a banker. <laughs> son of a banker and assistant secretary of the Treasury Department. After passage of the Federal Reserve Act in, eight, in 1913, Andrew left the United States and traveled to the front lines in France soon after the outbreak of, uh, of war in Europe. With other volunteers, he established a battlefield ambulance service founded by donations from his American contacts and others. When the United States entered World War I in 1917, the Ambulance Corps was attached to the U.S. Army and became known as the American Field Service. Andrew was appointed a major in the Army and was eventually promoted to the rank of lieutenant colonel. Following the war, Andrew returned to his home in uh, Massachusetts, he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives as a Republican in 1921. Uh, while in Congress, he worked to help France resolve its war debts and also sought to repeal prohibition. Andrew died suddenly in 1936 after a battle with influenza. So there's two other guys as well, uh, Charles Norton and Benjamin Strong. Now, those guys were there. Uh, when you search their names in Google, and I wish I would have done a little bit more research, but when you search their names on Google, or, or when you search the people who were there on Google, it doesn't mention these two guys. It says that, uh, never mentions them whatsoever, so I'd like to figure out who they were and why they were there, because maybe that's a pretty big deal. Obviously, in the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, he mentions these guys, and uh, I wish I would have, and, and they're, they're bankers, I mean, they're, they're part of the banking world, so I wish I would have done some research to figure out exactly who they were. Just didn't really think about it until afterwards. So, yeah. So, so the basic... I, I I don't know if it was nine days. It was like it was between seven and nine. I think it was closer to nine. All right, I'm good with whatever. I mean, fuck, we can just make it up. I hate. I know. I just hate not lying. Am I making a lot of shit up? Nothing. Go. <laughs> That's funny. I wouldn't know. Um, because I, I believe everything you say. All right, so well, I googled everything because that's what I wanted to research, and whatever I couldn't find on Google, you I just asked the media directly, like Main Street. Okay, good, good. Fuck, we're on the same page. Uh, okay, so so the 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 group, the core group of those guys, you know, if if it was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty, thirty, no, so the so those so. 
these men represented either directly or indirectly 25% or one-fourth of the world's wealth. Is that the six names that we just talked about? Yeah, a lot of it was so, actually, I mean, a lot of it was fucking, was uh, Paul Warburg, because that dude is one of the wealthiest people in the world. But but again, some of these people were there in, you know, their, you know the face of the Rockefellers or right. whoever. So what they're saying is these guys, um, these guys were either, uh, these men represented either directly or indirectly a quarter of the world's wealth. I mean, so the quarter of the world's money was sitting in that room, either in person or representing the people. Yeah, yeah. Damn, that's fucking, that's yeah. crazy. And if, it, again, nine people, at the, let's say nine at the most, it was probably about eight. I'm saying, actually, you know what? I think it was seven. So it was seven or eight probably. But again, according to both, you know, sources I use for research. That's crazy. Yeah, again, they, you know, when they came out of this freaking thing, they they had this plan. They told him not to do it. He did it anyways, called it the Aldrich plan or whatever, and he fucking, they shut it down. So, so that's that. So then when he left, the, these guys got back together and said, we still need to do this. And they decided to change the name essentially. And, uh, and so they came up with the federal reserve because they thought, okay, well, if we call for one, we'll call it federal. They'll think it's a government entity and reserve. They would give people the, the, the perception that the this money is backed by something there would be money there or it would even be you know the, your money they didn't want people to think that they were just fucking making some fake entity which they were uh so they called it federal reserve so people it, it was comfortable you know it sounded good and uh and it ended up passing in uh in 1913 so uh, some of the people who, some of the, the institutions that actually own the Federal Reserve, and I believe this is as of today, um, I can give you, I'll give you 10 of them here. Uh, and these are private owners slash members. Um, you've got the Rothschild Bank of London, Warburg Bank of Hamburg, Rothschild Bank of Berlin, Lehman Brothers of New York, the Lazard Brothers of Paris, Cum Laude, like we had talked about earlier. I do not know how to fucking spell that, so I think I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But the Cum Laude Bank of New York, uh, Israel's most Asif Bank of Italy. And again, I don't know how that's pronounced or said or spelt, but I just did it that way. Um, Goldman Sachs of New York, Warburg Bank of Amsterdam, and Chase Manhattan Bank of New York. So those are a lot of huge freaking... Um, entities and they are the people who essentially own and run the federal reserve well i can't say that they run the federal reserve because they still try to make it look like it's a uh, a government entity even though it's not i think the only person that is assigned by the president or our our government is the is the treasury the treasurer or no i guess i don't know a chairman yeah, there's think... a chairman maybe one person of, i can't remember i know there's one person but but anyways, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to go off on a weird tangent and just kind of talk about what it Do is it. and how it works. Do it. I got to pee. All right, man. Right on, right on, right on. Be careful with that. Or just... I won't hit it. I won't. All right. Right on. Sweet. So, um, the way that the Federal Reserve works. Now, this is going to sound very basic and very, very simple, but I promise you it is not simple at all there's a lot of shit that happens here and uh it's really 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 detailed but i also promise you that the stuff i'm telling you although i'm kind of um 
using uh, what, what metaphors, it still accurately portrays how this works. So essentially what happens with the Federal Reserve is that Congress, the United States government, they, they, they go to the, the Treasury Department and say, hey, uh, we want $1 billion. And then the Treasury Department will essentially say, uh, you're crazy. Uh, you, you spent everything we got from the taxpayers in, by March of this year. So you, you're out of money. And, and, you know, obviously at this point, the only thing they can do is go back to the American people and say, we need more money, so we're going to raise your taxes by whatever. And, and of course, we're going to tell them to fuck off because we ain't going to let that shit happen. So no problem. What they do um, is together they'll go to the Federal Reserve now, this new uh, thing they just created. They go to the Federal Reserve and they say, we need some money and we want $1 billion. And again, I'm using this number just so we can use it for the sake of conversation. So they go to the Federal Reserve. They say, we need $1 billion. The Federal Reserve says, all right, no problem. So they pull out a checkbook. They write a check for $1 billion and they 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 deposited in the, the treasury, the United States treasury. And then, uh, and then at the, so at this point, we got to kind of ask ourselves, where did that money come from? And who put that money in the federal reserve so that they could put it in the treasury? And the answer to that is nobody. That money was non-existent until the minute they signed that fucking check. Um, in fact, there's not even a checking account. It's literally just a check book. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, if you or I did that, if Eric over here fucking walking in the background, if any of us did that, we'd go to fucking jail because it's illegal. But not for them, not for the U.S. government, not for the Federal Reserve. They can do whatever the fuck they want because that's how they designed it. So let's, uh, so now we've got $1 billion that, uh, the United States government can start using to write checks everywhere else and what we're going to do i'm just going to give you and again this example that i'm using i got it from this book but it's the best best explanation of how the federal reserve works that i've ever heard so i'm just kind of portraying it back to you guys so let's of that one billion dollars that just went into the the united states treasury let's just follow one hundred dollars um the the u.s government writes a hundred dollar check to a postal worker and so that postal worker takes that $100, deposits it into his bank. And at that point, his bank opens up the loan windows and says, Hey, everybody, we've got $100 here. Uh, we can start loaning money out to you guys. And then everybody's excited because that's what that's what the bank's for. You know, you buy, you loan money and, and, and then you go buy, buy some shit. So uh, then, you know, they'll ask, Hey, you, you only have $100, though. And... And they say, don't worry, we can loan up to 90% of that. And so, you know, you'd think, you and I, we'd think, okay, well, 90% of $100 is $90. No, what they do is they keep the $100. And they say that's 10% of $1,000 or $900. So they can loan up to $900 off of this $100. And so they start loaning that money out. And, um, and then they charge interest on it. So we have to pay interest on this money that we just got back from, got from this bank. And if you remember, that money came from nothing. So essentially they're charging interest on nothing. And so that's, that's also, I mean, it's illegal. It has to be illegal. I don't know. It sounds fucking ridiculous to me, but, um, 
So at that point, we've got those people taking that money and putting it in their banks, and then those banks can loan out that money, and it's just an infinite freaking cycle. And at some point, you have to realize how much money is out there, and it keeps going and going and going, and it's all fucking fake money. It was created from nothing whatsoever. So the only thing it's done is created inflation um, over the years. And, of course, inflation isn't necessarily the price of things going up. It is the value of the American dollar going down. So it's uh, it's crazy. And then, uh, yeah, that's that's essentially how it works. That's I know it sounds kind of simple, and, and I, I just kind of dumbed it down for, for everybody, but it's legit. Like, that is the... That is the workings of the Federal Reserve. Mm. So there's a lot of misconceptions about inflation as well. Like, well, most people think that, oh, these, these people are going out here and they're, they're, they're raising the prices of everything so that everything costs more money. Well, then we have to start raising minimum wage. Well, that's, that's essentially what's happening. But realistically, the, the value of stuff is not changing. Um, it's the American dollar. It's the U.S. dollar that's actually dropping considerably. An example of that is back in like the Roman times, you could you could take one gold coin, and I mean that would buy you a nice freaking get up, man. Some nice sandals, nice little uh, crown or whatever the fuck they wore back then. A nice robe, like top of the line. You could probably get a whole setup like that. And think about it today, if you had one gold coin. You could take it to, you know, men's warehouse or whatever, and you could buy yourself a nice suit, nice shoes, nice belt, nice everything, you know, with the accessories, and it costs you about the same thing. Uh, so essentially, those items, because it's back, because you're using gold to purchase it, those items are worth about the same amount. I mean, you you can still buy the same amount of shit you could buy back then today with the same amount of gold. When you're using the U.S. dollar, it's way fucking different. So that's. That, that's the best example I can think of. Uh, unfortunately, there's just not the that gold's much. actually worth more. Oh yeah, because think about it. You because you get you know for a gold coin, you get a nice okay a, a robe, whatever you were saying like you know a headpiece, a pair of sandals. But it's like now, you can get like a full on three piece suit. You know, not just a cloth to lay well, over because you. Like, the- the get-ups better. The get-ups I, evolved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's that could be it. Yeah. So back then that was the shit, dude. That yeah, was a three piece suit, man. Yeah. So sorry this has been kind of janky, but um it's been a long time. We're out of practice. I think that we did okay, but uh it's also kind of getting hot. My butthole's sweaty. It's getting hot. Sweaty butthole. Sweaty butthole. Um that we did I say good. sweaty okay. butthole? Yes? Yeah. Okay, yeah. your turn. Sweaty butthole. We're only 45 minutes in. That's not that bad. No. All right. That's funny. Is that hurt? No. Okay. That's laughing. We can call it good. I'm good. Are you being for real? Yeah, we can call it good. I mean, I don't Whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Fuck it. Fuck it. It's a short one. We'll just do a short one, man. All right. I'm down. Um... So that is the Federal Reserve. That's how it works. That's how it was created. And um, again, if you guys want to know more information about the Federal Reserve, I would absolutely um, read The Creature from Jekyll Island. It's awesome. Great book. Haven't read it, but I bet you it's pretty good. So uh, yeah, check that out. Um, Thanks for watching. Do us a favor. 
please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mic Drop, Mildly Intelligent Conversations, and uh, like that page on our Facebook. And join that group on Facebook as well because we're trying to put out as much information as we can. And uh, Facebook's starting to censor some shit, and it sucks. And I'm pretty sure YouTube's going to get there as well. There's an airplane up there, probably going to drop some shit on us. They heard what's going on, so we better get the fuck out of here. Uh, but yeah, thanks for watching. Good show. We we'll do uh, we'll do this again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's how it goes, man. Bink, bink. <laughs>